While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. Hernando de Soto was born about 1500, and that was an interesting time to be a young, ambitious man in Spain. One generation was ending the fighting to defeat the Moors in Spain, while the opportunities in the New World were starting to open up. At about 20, he sailed to South America and was part of the conquest of Nicaragua, later traveling to Peru with Pizarro as one of his captains. He went there to find gold for Spain and glory for himself, and he found both. As you can imagine, those in his way weren't exactly treated fairly or even humanely, but he left Peru a rich man. In 1539, when he was about 40, he landed with a few hundred troops in Florida, and he was ready to continue his search for gold. In the episode on the Georgia Gold Rush, I referenced an 1896 geological survey of gold in Georgia. The writers of that survey, in their background material, said that as Spanish adventurers landed in Florida, local Native Americans would show them their gold and direct them north from where it came. De Soto and his men moved north, and I'm sure that was much to the relief of the Native Americans in Florida. He traveled throughout the southeast and may have traveled near northeast Georgia, but appears to have mostly skirted the area as the men moved through what is now South Carolina, North Carolina, and Tennessee, eventually moving west toward the Mississippi River. He believed that there was gold in the region, and of course he was right, but he never really found a significant amount. Another history of Georgia has a captain named Juan Pardo traveling through Nicucci and claiming to find evidence of silver mining in the area. Pardo built a blockhouse in the area and left some men behind to man it, but the eventual fate of those men is a mystery. An 1883 history by Charles Jones cites two explorers who traveled through northeast Georgia in the 1600s and reported evidence of Spanish gold mining in the area. And a 1929 article from the Georgia Historical Quarterly does lay out apparent evidence that the Spanish were mining for gold in Georgia. The author, J.G. Johnson from Colorado, explains that settlers moving into the Nicucci area in 1822 from North Carolina found deep mine shafts that had been there for many years. On Duke's Creek in what is now White County, mines and the ruins of houses were discovered, grown over by trees that were judged to be over 200 years old. They also found what may have been the remains of Pardo's Fort. In 1929, the author specifically places it two miles from what he calls the famous Nacuchi Indian Mound. A footnote references a local of the Sauti area who claimed to have possession of the European mining tools found in the region, and who tells a story about tunnels being discovered in the process of hydraulic mining. Research on this subject can have you running in very small circles. There are a few accounts that address Spanish mining in Georgia, and they all came out roughly the same time, and they all reference each other. 
Today on the internet, you may begin to research a specific subject and find a dozen websites that all contain identical information, obviously an original piece of work or a historical marker copied and pasted into a new website with no solid, verifiable original sources. It's kind of like that. It's almost impossible to find the original person who put out that information. And this happened 200 years ago in print. So what can we say here? There is definitely gold in northeast Georgia, and organized mining by non-Native Americans may have started centuries before the known Georgia gold rush. Now, there may be more gold out there, and even some silver, and maybe even more. So, put fresh batteries in your metal detector and grab a shovel, because we're going to take a look at some other various hidden treasures in Georgia. We'll start with a few from author Ernest Andrews in his book, Georgia's Fabulous Treasure Hoards. It was written in the 60s, but it's still in print today. In Union County, there was a farmer by name of Wimpy. One evening, Wimpy was out gathering some hogs, so it strayed off his property and onto the side of a nearby mountain. This might have been Mount Yona. Wimpy took a moment to rest at a large boulder, which began to move as he leaned on it. And sure enough, the boulder began to actually pivot, opening the mouth of a cave. Inside the cave was gold. More gold than Wimpy could ever imagine in one place. He was smart though, and knowing that the cave was located on federal land, he decided to leave the treasure and buy the surrounding property so his claim to the gold would be uncontested. But because the cave was located on the Chattahoochee National Forest, Wimpy simply could never buy the land. Before he died, he did pass on the secret to his relatives, but he was too old and too weak to show them the spot in person and its exact location has been lost. If this story sounds vaguely familiar, try Matthew 13.44. That version of the story actually has a happy ending. In the 1920s, a group of men located a lost silver mine on Currahee Mountain in Stevens County by following some Native American signs and carvings, ending with an arrow carved into a rock pointing down. They would mine with a friend on lookout duty, then beat the silver into bracelets to sell. At some point, the legitimate owner of the land complained to the sheriff and the mining was brought to a stop. Apparently, the owner, now that they knew of the mine's existence, had no interest in finding silver themselves, and the exact location of the mine and the rock and the arrow have, of course, been lost. This seems like a combination of a few stories. The stories of silver mines that were lost in northeast Georgia, and also stories of carvings like the ones at Track Rock near Blairsville, leading to mines or buried treasure. If gold or silver isn't your style, try diamonds. Andrews tells of a six-carat diamond found north of Gainesville in 1843, which he claims was briefly on display in one of the banks there, but it's now lost. A 1978 book published by the State of Georgia Geologic and Water Resources Division lists several discoveries of diamonds in Georgia. Apparently, Hall County and its environs are situated on soil that could, theoretically, produce diamonds. 
A Dr. Lloyd of the Glade Gold Mine in Hall County claimed that diamonds were often found in the process of washing soil for gold. Apparently, no one knew they were uncut, unpolished diamonds, and they were saved as unusual stones. His children apparently used one to play marbles. One was found in Burke County lying on the ground, and a few others were found throughout the state. Of course, this report from the Geologic and Water Resources Division says that none of these stories can be proved, and there is absolutely no evidence that diamonds were ever found in Georgia, but it's still a good story. One of the supposed diamonds found in 1887 was slightly yellow and had some unusual occlusions. And this book states that a cast was made of it, which is now residing in the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. I'm a big fan of museums, especially where rocks, minerals, and fossils are concerned. And I enjoyed going through the Field Museum website, but I couldn't find any mention of the cast. They must have millions of items in their catalog. I did send them a few emails asking about it. I'll let you know if I hear anything. Until then, you know, look down once in a while. You might be walking over diamonds. And I do have one last tale of treasure to be found in Georgia. But first, I want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a historical podcast focusing on Northeast Georgia. If I had any gold or diamonds from my backyard, I would share it with all of you. But since I can't, I would appreciate if you would just give me a five-star rating or maybe leave a review. It'll help get the word out. And if you have any interesting stories you want to share, please, I'd love to hear them at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. That's one word. As the Civil War came to a close, Jefferson Davis found himself with a $100,000 bounty on his head. An article by Robert Scott Davis in the Georgia Historical Quarterly describes the situation as a fairly chaotic chase after Davis and whatever part of the Confederacy's treasury he may have fled with. Rumors claim that the fleeing president carried between $1 and $13 million in gold, possibly intended for bribes and passage to Mexico and beyond. Nobody knows how much Davis and his companions carried, but when he left Richmond, a second group of fugitives also evacuated the city. Naval Captain William Parker left Richmond with something like $330,000 in gold and silver coins, as well as bullion, donated jewelry, checks, and sweepings from the floor of the Dahlonega Mint. About a month later, this treasure train passed through Washington, Georgia, but with considerably less wealth. When those traveling with the supposed treasury of the Confederacy were finally caught, they weren't carrying enough money or gold to cover the rewards for their capture. The question remains, where did all that treasure go? It may have been used to pay soldiers as the party moved south. Some may have been entrusted to Confederate officers to smuggle out of the country. It may have been stolen outright by those who captured Davis, or it may have been buried to be found later. Looking through the various internet theories of the lost gold, you'll find a few stories of gold coins or Confederate bullion dug up during the construction of railway lines or buildings. People go out with metal detectors to search for the buried Confederate gold all the time. Some of that gold that did make it to Washington, Georgia, about $450,000 worth, was held in a bank intended to be returned to banks in Richmond. 
a bank officer named William Crump traveled to Washington to take charge of the gold and return it to Richmond. The plan was to load it onto wagons, transport it to the railroad line in South Carolina, and return the gold to banks in Virginia. One night, as the wagon train paused in Lincoln County for the night, some 20 riders, supposedly cavalry soldiers for the Union forces, raided the camp, filled their saddlebags with as much as they could carry, and rode off, leaving the camp in disarray and confusion. The local residents snuck in and gathered what they could, including money found on the side of the road that had spilled from one robber's saddlebag. Up to a quarter million dollars in gold was lost. Some of the bandits were caught and some of the money was recovered, including $5,000 that for some reason had been thrown into the yard of Robert Toombs back in Washington, Georgia. He agreed to return the money on the condition that it was put to use buying food for returning Confederate soldiers. The story of the missing Confederate gold could be a podcast episode on its own. Hundreds were arrested in the search for the stolen gold, people were literally tortured, and dozens of stories sprouted up to explain where the treasure was hidden. Now, we know now that Rhett Butler got some of it, but he can't gotten all of it, could he? Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid deputy gal to Georgia. That's all.